The following sermon is from Redemption Bible Church of New Braunfels, where we are proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology, in order to fulfill the Great Commission in the spirit of the Great Commandment. Now to Philippians 4, uh, verses 2 and 3 is where we'll find ourselves today. Philippians 4, 2 through 3. This morning we're coming to the uh, near the end of our study in Philippians. We'll be in this last chapter here this month leading up to Easter and this series we've called Durable. And you know, as we begin this morning, I want to just uh, point out something here. One of the things that I love about the Bible is its relevance. It's, it's, it's relevance. Yes, it's filled with theology. Yes, it contains page after page of historical narrative. Yes, it was written long ago about people long ago, but it is forever timeless because its author is timeless. God's Word is timeless because He Himself is timeless. He, yes, spoke it into a specific point in humanity, but He did so with all of eternity on His mind. And so its words are no less true. And uh, as a relevant book, it's also very practical, able to be understood and obeyed and applied in our life here. And today it was spoke and written into a specific context, but it is able to be applied in every context, no matter who you are or where you find yourself. And today's verses really demonstrate that. They demonstrate the Bible's relevance and how timeless and how practical it is for us. And what I'm about to read today could uh, be summed up or to some maybe as a juicy gossip. And if you've read ahead or you're glancing at the verses now, uh, you know what I'm talking about. You may be thinking as these verses I'm about to read, like we've come to the end of the, the book and we think like, have we hit the tabloid section of this letter? Like as he calls out these women, we're like, ooh, these ladies are fighting. This is going to be good. Right? It's a soap opera or something. Or to others of you, are like, oh, no, this is going to be a mess. I don't, I don't need the drama of this. But let me just tell you this morning that these verses are far from juicy gossip. They're biblical truth to be applied. They're as relevant for us today as when they were first written to the church in Philippi long ago. And so I want to read it. Look there with me. I'm going to read. You can follow along and we'll see uh, what I'm talking about together. Philippians 4, 2 through 3 say this, I entreat Eodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, Help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest who are my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. This is God's word for God's people. These are some uh, very relevant, some practical, some even personal verses this morning. But as I said, these are, uh, these are truths that are being uh, uh, applied. Earlier in the book of Philippians, a verse that we've gone to time and time again, it's kind of an anchor uh, verse, a, a, a central verse to the whole letter in, in uh, Philippians 1.27. And there, Paul taught this church to strive for unity. He repeated it again in chapter 2 in the example of Jesus. But let's go back there and look. You've got your Bible, so let's just see it and put it before us here. It's probably a page over. Go to Philippians 1, 27, and let me just read it here for us again. Some of you can probably memorize it because we've looked at it so often. 
But here Paul commands, he, he lays it before us, this singular way of living. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Just a few verses after that, look over at chapter 2, verse 2, and here he brings up this same idea. He says, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord, and again, and of one mind. And so here are these verses, or these, this truth to strive for unity as commands and under the example of Jesus. And so when we get to chapter 4 and Paul is writing again to a specific church, he is now seeking to apply this verse. What we learned in those verses uh, several weeks, even months ago now, was that there is no unity without humility. We must lay our life down, our preferences down, our convictions on secondary and tertiary views. But we are as the body of people, or body of God's people rather, to be of the same mind, the same love and soul, and to mind again as it came back full circle there in verse or chapter 2, verse 2. And when he urges us or entreats us to be of the same mind, he's not necessarily speaking of being of the same beliefs of holding to the same doctrine, but most specifically to be of the same understanding, to seek to understand another's point of view. There is the same, behind the same command that Peter tells uh, to husbands in 1 Peter 3, 7, husbands live with your wives in a understanding way. To seek to live out, uh, not insisting on your own opinion or unable or refusing to see another's perspective or just to walk in their shoes and to understand it. But feeling misunderstood, as we said then, and I'll remind you this morning, is one of the leading causes for division or discord or conflict in marriage and the church and just relationships in general. And so we're to be of the same love and the same mind. And when we come now to chapter 4, here are those truths uh, applied specifically to this situation and in our own life. And they really bring to mind, they bring it all to uh, here to this central truth. It's on the screen and you can write it down. But it's this, that gospel people fight for unity in the church. Let me just say that again and say it slowly so we all get it this morning. Gospel people fight for unity in the church. This is the central truth of what the verses I just read and, and, and going back into chapter 1 and chapter 2. And so maybe as it comes to the verses I read a, a bit ago here, maybe they make you uncomfortable. You know, can you just imagine, like put yourself in the Philippian shoes, imagine sitting in a church on a Sunday just like we are, you know, and maybe a little less comfortable uh, situation. And, and now the Philippians are gathered and Epaphroditus, the guy we read about in chapter 2, he just arrived that week. And he came carrying a scroll, this letter that we now know as Philippians, and he brings it to uh, the, this body of believers. And they're so excited. They heard, we got a letter from Paul. He's in prison and he's written to us. And imagine they come and read it. Maybe Epaphroditus is reading it. Maybe one of the elders that are referred to in chapter 1, verse 1. And they read it and it's great. And it's, you know, yes, these are such good truths, all the things that we've studied. And then you get to this section. And we're all sitting here, and he's like, and I entreat Yodia and Syntyche to agree in the Lord. That would be like me coming in here on a Sunday and just all of a sudden calling out, you know, like my wife and uh, Pastor Cade's wife, Corey, and saying, hey, Aaron Cushman, Corey Hennessy, y'all better get along. I mean, we'd be like, whoa, did he really just say that? 
Like, did he just call these ladies out in the service? They just got it. You know, there's some of this fighting going on here. And so it is kind of startling, but we have something to learn because the Bible is so relevant. So let's see what these verses have to teach us about unity and how we then fight for it. Here's our first point from verse 2. Unity is personal. Unity is personal. Let's seek to understand. Look at verse 2 with me. Look at verse 2, and we'll, we'll pick it apart here a little bit, because this verse is very personal, and it's very public, isn't it? Just like I described the situation here, it is public, they all know the situation. But let me just uh, qualify this for a little bit. What, we're not, uh, what we don't get from this verse is that every disagreement needs to be publicly broadcast. Okay? Like if there's a disagreement going on in your marriage or between you and somebody else in your small group, that doesn't mean you know I have to come up here and call it out in the church or put it in the redemption register or post it on our social media. So that's not what we are getting at. Yet biblical community is appropriately transparent and intrusive. Biblical community, let me just say that again, is appropriately transparent and intrusive. We all uh, seek to understand and help one another out, especially when it is threatening unity in the church. When the gospel is on the line, when our unity is on the line, that is where we become involved in the whole picture, both personally and, as we'll see in a bit, communally here. But let's look at this verse first, and I want to note several things about the verse. Notice here how both women are called out equally. You see it here? Look at the repetition. He doesn't have to repeat the verb, but he entreats both Iodia and I entreat Syntyche. Okay, he doesn't just put them all out there, but by, the, by repeating that to, to entreat or to urge or to insist upon with all the apostolic uh, weight and authority that he has, he is urging both of these women to agree in the Lord. Second, note this, that we're not told what the disagreement is about. We, we have very little details here. But what we can say is Paul and the church, obviously, they knew what the disagreement was about. They, they knew, and it was, it was not necessarily some little issue, but it was big enough that he, you know, a long way away, all the way in Rome, in a prison, he had apparently heard about this, that the news had spread. It wasn't just some little, like, uh, personal issue, but this was big enough that it was threatening the unity of the church. What we can say is it was probably not a doctrinal issue. As Paul, in other letters, he weighs in on all kinds of things. When, it, when the truth is at stake... When biblical truth, the gospel is at stake, he, very, he, he will side with one another. He will call out, and, and call out truth and call out error. And so there are certain instances as believers where we have to divide over doctrine. If, we're deny, if someone is denying biblical inerrancy, that the Bible that we have is, is the Word of God without error, without, uh, without any uh, uh, mistake in its original writings, that this is from the, uh, from the Lord Himself, sufficient for everything that we need. Those are issues that we would divide over. Somebody's denying that Jesus is God. That's a gospel issue. That Our, our salvation is at stake. And so in those situations, we would uh, divide. There is no unity there. But that's not what he's getting at here. This is likely a matter of preference and or conscience. Something along the lines of maybe these two women had some unresolved conflict over how to school their children. Yodia is advocating that no homeschooling is the only biblically faithful way to raise your kids. And Syntyche is over here and she's like, no uh, Christian private education is the only biblically faithful way to raise your kids. 
And there's a third woman who's not mentioned because she's long gone, but she's like, no, public school is the only way to biblically, faithfully raise your kids. Maybe they're arguing over masks. You know, now they're arguing over, they have conflict over whether or not to wear a mask into H-E-B now that the mask mandate will be lifted. Now, those aren't issues for their day. Those are issues for our day, aren't they? And there are many more like it that we could use as examples that threaten the unity that we have in the Lord. We don't know what it's about, ultimately, but it is likely a matter of preference and or conscience. But notice one final thing here. Notice the, the thing about his simple resolution to agree in the Lord. To agree is literally that to be of the same mind. What we saw in those earlier verses here. To seek to understand, like we read, to uh, seek to understand the other's point of view. You need to do this in the Lord. And so note this, note this, it'll be on the screen here. Conflict happens when I refuse to see another's perspective. Conflict, disagreements happen when, uh, when I refuse to see another's perspective. And so get this, get this, there's only one person on the entire planet that sees uh, exactly like you on every issue, every circumstance, every, isol- every uh, problem, every reason to celebrate. There's only one person who sees it exactly like you. Guess who it is? You. There's even, even in the best of marriages, even in the most uh, uh, united elder boards, there are people that see things just a little bit differently. And so as gospel people, we are forever growing and learning to see from others' perspectives. And marriage is one of the places where this is tested the most, isn't it? Of seeking to just understand when two people come together from various upbringings, various ways of doing things, you, you just, conflict happens over the silliest of things and how to fold clothes. Do you roll your t-shirts or do you fold them? Do you tri-fold them? Do you just fold them in half? Do you just throw them in a pile? What do we do with our dirty laundry? Does it just go on the floor, in the bathroom, in the laundry room, in a hamper, or throw them away? Yeah, we fight over all kinds of things. Toothpaste and how you roll up tooth. I mean, when you step back from it, you realize just how little and fickle we can be. But there are all kinds of I mean, we, the, the political climate of our day. Is, is another just testing ground as, we, as the two you know, predominant uh, uh, parties just come from two very different ways of thinking. And so when it comes to the church, people in this room from various backgrounds, various upbringings, different ways of thinking, in this family of faith, do you think, we tr- we're just trying to do to le- a life together, what do you think will inevitably happen? There will be conflict disagreements over things that can lead to division and disunity if we don't fight for unity by seeking to understand the other's perspective of what Paul just very simply says, agreeing in the Lord. And so listen, this in the Lord is so important for us. To be of the same mind in the Lord. You may not see everything eye to eye with everyone in this room about education and politics and vaccinations and dress codes and tattoos and tobacco use and drinking and masks or whatever else it might be. But if you see eye to eye about the good news of Jesus Christ... If you see eye to eye about the gospel, that there is a God who is holy, that has created us, but our sin has separated us. And there is nothing we can do about it. And so guess what? God did something about it. 
in His second person of the Trinity, Christ Jesus Himself left His throne in heaven and came to live the perfect life that we couldn't live and died the death that we were supposed to die. And that when we repent of our sin and turn from it and believe on Christ as our only hope for eternal life and salvation, we are then saved to walk in newness of life. If we are united around those central truths in the Lord, then this ultimately is where our unity lies. And this is then what motivates us to try to understand another's point of view. We know we get the gospel right. We know we agree here. So let's see from their perspective on these other issues. So that even if we don't come to the same conclusions and we don't see things exactly the same, what we have gained is understanding and respect for one another. And and even more importantly, what we've maintained is unity. The unity for which Christ died the unity for which we are saved into in this body of believers. And all of us who've been saved have a personal responsibility in that. We have a personal responsibility in conflict to seek to understand the other's point of view. This is for all of us, this personal responsibility that Iodia and Syntyche had here, and the community of faith, the body of believers there at the church in Philippi, they had a responsibility as well. So you look at verse 3, and this is our second point here, that unity is communal. Unity is communal. We must do our part. He says uh, here in verse 3, he says, Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who've labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers. See, the ladies aren't alone in their call-out, right? A couple other people do some specific names, and then the whole church is, is mentioned here. Now, there's some mystery here as to who the true companion is. Uh, some say, well, maybe he's an unnamed person. Maybe he's an elder. Paul apparently knew who he was. It's likely, it's actually a name. It should uh, probably more uh, 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 truthfully here just be transliterated into a name, Suzagus in, in Greek. It's kind of a crazy name, I know. But it means true companion or true yoke fellow. Um, this is what his name means. In the first service, I chided uh, my wife that maybe this needs to be the name for our, our next kid that's coming. She didn't like that idea, but <laughs> for some of you other pregnant families here, here's a name from the Lord. But we don't, we don't ultimately know who he is. They know who it is. We don't even know who Clement is in this verse, but they knew who he was, and they're specifically calling out maybe elder, deacon, those that are mentioned in chapter 1, verse 1. But then it comes to the end. He says, these fellow workers, who are these people? Church, who works for Christ? Yeah, I do. You do. Not just me. I mean, I, I do, but we, we all do. We all do. We work for Christ. Gospel people do. Christians do. Are you a believer in Christ today? Then you are a fellow worker working for Christ, carrying out the gospel of Jesus Christ. And guess what part of your job is? To help people reconcile with one another to come alongside, to fight for unity. See, it's common in relationships, it's common in groups to see conflict or disagreements and think like, y'all need to go work that out. I, don't, I, I, I ain't got time for that. You go work it out. But it is uncommon and it's the work that God calls us to do to gather around the gospel, to gather around and, and to take responsibility for our part in this reconciliation process. See, it's, it's all a part. It's, there's a personal responsibility and a communal responsibility. Do you get this? 
I look at your neighbor and say, it's my responsibility. Do that. That's right, that's right, good. But look here also, look here also, because I don't want us to miss this. We have, as, as a body, we also have a responsibility to help. Note this then, or, uh, unity is a community project. Got that? Unity is a community project. Write that down and tell it to your neighbor if, again if you just want to talk to them for a bit and say this so they don't forget it. Unity is a community project. Paul requests their collective help in this. Do you get this? These help for these women. He appeals to their work for Christ together. See, this is the part of the, 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 the part that we all play. They've labored, literally fought or striven together side by side for the gospel. And now they're apparently fighting about something else that is hindering the gospel. And he's saying, hey, remember the days. Remember, he's, he's calling them back to what we read about in Acts 16 when the gospel was first coming to Philippi and disciples were being made and this church was being planted. He said, y'all work together. You strove, you fought together so that Jesus would be proclaimed. And now, because of your, your disagreement, the gospel is actually being hindered. As the word is spread of this, as the reputation has gone out, like, man, those people don't get along. That's common, y'all. This is what happens in the workplace. This is what happens in the world. But God has made us as a body of believers, as an organism together, as a community of faith, a family that fights for unity in the gospel. And this alone, this should motivate our communal involvement. See, we don't want anything to hinder. We exist so that we can be a light uh, uh, to the world. We are a city on a, a hill. We are carrying forth the gospel. And if anything is clouding over that, we won't let anything hinder the spread of the good news of Jesus Christ. See, it's hard to hate a person whom you are worshiping Christ with, walking with Christ with, and working for Christ alongside and so note this, note this, conflict happens when I retreat in isolation. When I retreat in isolation, we, we or remove ourselves from community. So we have a part, we're called to lean into this, but it is when we are isolated. It's when we are removed, uh, we remove ourselves from the situation and where bitterness sets in because we start, we, we start believing the worst about people. We start filling in the blanks because we just haven't gone and talked to them. It's easy to hate somebody who, you, who you're not talking to. It's hard to hate somebody when you're together with them. But we remove, we, we come out and we just stew in, in bitterness and it is there that, these, uh, that this conflict begins to fester and not be taken care of. But many things are just settled by a face-to-face conversation, of coming together. And when you can't, and when you're having a hard time, and you're genuinely seeking to understand, then this is the role that the body of Christ comes in to help us see, to help us fight for unity because we care for one another. We love one another. We're for each other's marriages. We're for the unity in our small groups. We are for the collective unity of this body of believers. And so we fight for it. We lean in humbly. And by the community involvement, we're not getting involved just so we can prove our, our, that we're right. That is just so we can like get our point across and you all need to get on my page. No, we lean in humbly because we are seeking to understand. We come around and help as everybody comes around the gospel. See, to be gospel-centered, something that we say as a church doesn't just mean that we're centered in the gospel in our preaching, our relationships, but even in our conflict. And because we have the gospel right, we come together. But even as you read this, maybe you're asking, like, well, how do we help? 
what, what is my part? Okay, I want to help. I'm not afraid. I won't, I won't just retreat, but I want to come in. I want to lean in. What is our part when the conflict isn't even directly between us? What do I do? There's a marriage. There's somebody in my small group. Our friends are just not able to see. Well, here's what it could look like. How to help you first. Maybe you could be called on to adjudicate. It's on the screen. That's a big word. Just literally means to judge. To help weigh in on issues from the Bible. What is the biblically faithful way? And uh, leaders especially, we're called to uh, step in to come around conflict in this way. As small group leaders or elders, uh, even as the church, we, we step in when there's conflict like this to make uh, decisions, to help uh, uh, navigate and hear everything and, and uh, come to some conclusions, especially when it has to do with theology, especially when it has to do with following the Lord faithfully. But here's a second way, and maybe more uh, relevant to where you find yourself, is we're called to mediate, to help in this way, to, to facilitate conversations, ensuring that there is clear communication, helping one another just to see so there's no lack of clarity or understanding. Okay, when you say this, what do you mean? Can you elaborate on what happened? And so we mediate in conflict just like this by asking helpful questions. Yesterday afternoon, I had to mediate uh, the, the local uh, kids in, in my neighborhood as they were out front playing uh, uh, baseball or wiffle ball. At least that's what I thought. And then I started hearing like cries and screaming and things and uh, went out. And next thing I hear a story that these kids are chasing with bats and these kids are chasing with chains. And I'm like, what in the world? Is this like an episode? Uh, this like the book Outsiders or something? Like, what's, what's happening on my, on my street here? I needed to just step in as you know these young kids were playing and emotions were high and everybody was hot and tired and they just needed it was just time for everyone to come in and get a cold drink of water and cool off for a while. They needed some mediation. And so how do we help? We can adjudicate, we can mediate, or here's a third one, and definitely something for all of us in here is we advocate. We help one another. We help these women. We help in disagreement by following up and encouraging. By helping to keep our eyes fixed on Christ. To keep it fixed on the truth. It's the side-by-side ministry. Not letting someone go backward. Not letting someone retreat. But following up and advocating to keep our focus on what is most important. We advocate when we serve one another. Helping just meet physical needs to, so that meetings can happen or things can happen in order to, in order to make the steps towards unity in uh, this way. And so these are, these are just three ways, but here's what really undergirds, and I save it for last, because all of these and all of us are called this, we help through praying. Or if you need a word that rhymes, then you can write supplicate. But we all need to uphold, we need to commit to bringing whatever disagreement there is to the Lord of praying biblically faithful prayers. This is the most important and the most powerful way in which we help one another and we strive for unity. We pray that God's work and His will would be done. See, because ultimately we're asking that the true judge, the Father, that the one mediator, Christ Jesus, that the, that the eternal advocate, the divine advocate or counselor, the Holy Spirit would do their work in this situation that truth would be revealed, that hearts would be softened, that reconciliation would be achieved and unity would be preserved. We pray that in the midst of conflict, our eyes would be on Christ who himself reconciled us, united us to him, brought us to the Father, 
and was coming back for us one day. This is what we pray for. This is how we help. This is how we come alongside and strive as fellow workers doing our part in this communal effort of of reconciliation and fighting for unity. But look where verse 3 lands. Look where it lands. He says, whose names are in the book of life. And so here's our third point, that unity is eternal. Look to heaven. Unity is eternal. Look to heaven. After calling the entire church to help in this gospel reconciling work, Paul reminds us where we are all headed. He reminds us that we are headed towards heaven. See, in in conflict, in disagreement, our mind gets stuck on the problem here. Our, Our gaze, our attention, our affections get taken away from the things that matter most, from the eternal weighty things. And this is what he's ultimately referring to in the book of life. Now, maybe that's a confusing term to you. Maybe you're new to the faith. Maybe you've heard that, but there's a, a lack of clarity as to, well, what is, what is this book of life? Well, it's something that's referred to all across Scripture, first referenced in the book of Exodus and then culminates, and it's most often referenced in the book of Revelation. Jesus talks about it in Luke chapter 10. You can look up these verses in just a good online search engine uh, tool and type in book of life, and you'll find these uh, Scriptures, and you can study them this week. But here's just a simple definition. We ask, well, what is the book of life? It is this. It's the heavenly register of the redeemed, whose names were written there before eternity passed. God has a book, apparently, the book of life. Those names of the saved that have been written there since before time began. Nothing you've done to earn your way onto that roster. Nothing you've done to, to get uh, to, to be on that. It is just simply by God's uh, sovereign love and salvation for His children. It is His heavenly register. Think of it this way. Think of it like an athletic team roster. Uh, a roster here where, uh, with every, the names of everyone on the team. Some have been traded for, some have been uh, 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 drafted, others are, uh, have been uh, uh, brought onto the team. There's coaches that have been hired, there's managers, equipment staff, and everybody's names are on there, each doing their part to win. Each uh, chosen, each hired, each drafted or whatever by the owner to uh, make it through the season, to win some games and get to the championship, the culmination there where uh, their names will be immortalized, as we say. The team that uh, did it or worked together that will forever uh, be united and named together as that team that won. With shared memories of, of the great times and the shared struggles of the hard-fought victories and the shared prize of winning the championship. And what it required in the meantime was everybody unified, doing their part, working together, keeping their eyes on that prize of winning the championship. And in many ways, this is descriptive of us as believers, as the body of Christ. Our prize is Christ. Our prize is eternity with Him, of heaven and all the glories that are revealed in that book of Revelation. And so it is with our eyes on the prize then on heaven that motivates unity today. As we are doing our part, this is what motivates us as we are motivated by eternity. When we're just tempted to blow off a fellow believer, when we're just tempted to say, you know what, it's not worth it. Well, it's worth it for Christ to come and die. 
person is the one that Christ died to save. And we're going to spend eternity with that person. And so just, you know, kind of flippantly, we might say, well, you might as well just forgive him now. Just forgive him now. We're going to spend eternity united singing God's praises now. So just forgive him. Reconcile. Work it out. Seek to understand. Let's do our part with our gaze fixed on heaven. Because here's the here's third thing. Conflict happens when I fixate on earthly things. Conflict happens when I fixate on earthly things, when, when I'm fixated on the problems or getting my way or being a proven right or, or having uh, my way with something. When I fixate on earthly things, then conflict happens. But when I'm looking to heavenly things, where Christ is seated above, when we are looking to heaven, where our citizenship ultimately lies, then issues that seem so big to us here on earth just diminish under the, under the scope and the glory of heaven. In light of Christ, all the severe issues seem to just become so much smaller. And so if you find yourself in a disagreement, whether in your marriage or with a believer, someone in your small group or in the ministry team, which you serve, or just a fellow, uh, uh, anybody, any person even, just ask yourself these three questions. You can write them down. They won't be on the screen, but just ask these three helpful questions. What do they see that I don't? If you find yourself just butting heads and you can't seem to agree in the Lord, but you know you should, ask the question, what do they see that I don't? And secondly, ask, ask this, what is my responsibility? What is my responsibility? What's my part? How do I lean in? Do I need to lay down my preferences? Do I need to confess my sin? Do I need to help? Do I need to help see things clearly? Do I need to encourage? What is my responsibility? And then third, ask this question. Will this problem matter in heaven? Will this matter in heaven? And if yes... Then, then we need to work on it. Then we need to get some help because it's likely a theological issue. It's a salvation issue. If eternity is at stake, then there we definitely need some help. But if no, if the answer is no, it's not going to matter in heaven, then it's time to reconcile, church. It's time to agree in the Lord. It might be easier just to save face and leave the situation unresolved. But if we are seeking to be gospel people, we're seeking to live a life worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If we want to be a light in our community, if we want to show the world that there is hope in Christ, that following Christ is so worth it, that it is so much different than what we see everywhere else in our workplace, in, uh, in, in grocery stores, wherever we are. If the church is different, then we are a people who fight for unity. Unity in the church. This is what we do. We are an uncommon community. But we know that it is, this conflict is, is common. It, it's led to, uh, well, just even disagreements between two people. And something that maybe started off so trivial has led to massive church splits, hasn't it? Some of you likely know stories. Maybe you've been a part of a church like that. You're like, man, this is no good. Paul and Barnabas, they themselves, the Apostle Paul who wrote this, he and his traveling companion, Barnabas, split over whether or not Mark was to go with them or not. And so disagreements happen even between gospel people. Why? Because we're still imperfect. Because sin remains in us. Because we have blind spots. Anybody in here got some blind spots? Yeah, we all do. 
you don't think you do, then you're blind to the fact that you have blind spots. And so how good is it of God to show us how to reconcile? Knowing that we are imperfect, that we are still being sanctified, that we are still in process, and God would, in His sovereign wisdom, so good, give us this relevant uh, word to teach us even how to fight for unity. God is so good. He cares about us. How applicable is our Bible for even today in this era and the things that we fight over that would divide us even today? How good is it that God would give us His Word? How good is it that God would give us an ordinance like communion that we're going to take in in just a minute? Uh, uh, An ongoing reminder uh, uh, that we celebrate this unity that we share in Christ. Our unity to Christ and our unity together with Christ. And it is also an ordinance that causes us to regularly examine our unity. This morning you should be thinking, am I in the faith today? Am I right with the Lord? Have I repented of my sin and believed on Christ? Is there anything that uh, uh, also likewise would, uh, that, uh, where I, there's an offense between me and a brother and sister? Something that I am harboring, a disagreement that I have allowed to fester conflict that I need to that I need to seek reconciliation in. And this is God's reminder how good is he to bring us back together and get us to examine that. And so we are we're going to respond in communion here just out of the goodness of God as we seek to fight for unity. We've sung these songs, we prayed these prayers, we've opened our bibles together and now we want to come to this uh, symbol of what our reconciliation and our unity cost, the death of our Lord. And so maybe you're new with us today. Here, I just want to offer some some things that uh, we say here at at Redemption when it comes to communion. You may be asking yourself, you come from a variety of backgrounds, well, who's, who's communion for? It's for believers, those who have repented of their sin and believed in Christ and who've responded in faithfulness by being baptized, of publicly professing that by being immersed in water. If not, if you've not been baptized, I'd love to talk with you about that because we, we would love to hear your testimony and have you be baptized to proclaim that. But it's for those. It's for those who trusted in Christ. You don't have to be a member of Redemption. That's If this is your church home and you haven't gone through the steps of that process, we would love to walk with you through that as well. You can take that first step and just connect with us. But it's for believers. So we would invite you to take that with us. What does it mean? It's a memorial. It's a reminder, that ongoing reminder of our unity with Christ and one another doesn't uh, become the body and blood of Christ, but it isn't just merely, you know, a stale wafer and some, uh, some juice here. It nourishes us spiritually, just like the Word of God instructs us in prayer. We commune with God and our fellowship with one another. In case you're wondering how often do we do it at redemption, we do it as regularly as we see the atonement in the Scriptures. And so, often enough to be faithful, but not ritualistic. And so we, we take it, as, it does happen to be the first Sunday of the month, but that's not when we always do it. We do it when there's a clear reference to Christ's substitutionary death on the cross. And so we now have these cups here that uh, help us take it. We don't pass it around. That's got the little wafer on top, so you have to be kind of nimble with your uh, dexterity to get into it here. But we're going to take it uh, together here. For, and, but I want you to reflect just a minute. So why don't we go ahead and pray. I'm going to call the worship team up. And then uh, let's respond in this way as we fight for gospel unity together. So pray with me now. 
Father in heaven, we, uh, we stop here uh, just to, uh, to pause, to be reflective. We want to uh, examine our hearts and, and see if we are right with you and right with uh, one another. And so we begin by just telling you thank you. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for the word of God that instructs us. It's so practical today. And even as my brothers and sisters are looking at their own life, God, if there is a, a, a source of disagreement, a threat to the unity in their marriage or their friendship or their small group or even here at the church, would we be quick to agree in the Lord, to follow these things that you've prescribed for us? But now, God, our, our, our minds are set on Christ, the cost that was paid, his death, Oh, he was brutally beaten. His blood was poured out. He paid the penalty that we were supposed to pay. You stood in our place, Jesus, and for that we're grateful. For that we, we say we love you and we worship you. And so it's with that in mind we celebrate you, Christ. We examine our own hearts even now. We pray these things in Christ's name. God's people said, Amen. Amen. As you are taking that here, hear these words from uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Find it here in my Bible. It's just a few pages over. Hear these words as we uh, take that bread here together. Paul teaching the church there. He says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. You can take that way for now and with grateful heart. Let's take the bread. Tear back that second layer there and hear these words. Passage goes on and said, In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's proclaim the Lord's death together. Jesus, it is, uh, it is your death that won this for us. And so we're, so we're grateful now. We're humbled that you would do this on our behalf. And so continue your work in us even now as we uh, prepare to sing this song to you. And pray in Christ's name.